guys. Welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I'm your host, Coco. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about something that I've been getting a lot of questions about, and that is my boob job. I obviously knew that once I get this done, I will share it on Instagram because people are not blind and I don't want to pretend like you know, if people start asking me questions, whether or not got it done. And I just, I'm just very open and honest in general. So I'm like, why would I hide that I got a boob job? Because it's nothing to be ashamed for. I paid it myself. I always wanted to get it done. And I just think that I should do whatever I want to do. You know, some people told me like, oh, don't post it on Instagram. But I'm like, I think that would be just disrespectful in a sense like I know people are going to ask me and what am I going to just pretend like my boobs grew overnight because I was massaging them with olive oil or something like why not just admit that you got something done like everybody can see and like stop lying to everyone so that's what I that's why I decided to just be very open about the process so basically I wanted to get my boobs done my whole life but I was always thinking like oh maybe I shouldn't do it you know I'm pretty anyway like blah 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 like I have a pretty big ass <laughs> I don't know if you knew it but now you know and I was like I don't just need to be big everywhere but I always wanted to get it done and once I moved to Miami I realized that that's not such a big surgery like I thought. I thought it's like, you know, long recovery. It was very painful, whatever. And I also, some of my friends that got their boobs done, they're not as soft or they don't look as natural as I wanted mine to look. So that that's like the only two reasons why I didn't get it done. But as I said, once I moved to Miami, I talked to a lot of other friends who had an amazing experience and who still have boobs that look really natural and like you would never tell so then I started doing my research I was kind of talking to people again to see you know what are the best surgeons in town and who's known for what and then I went for a few consults and then uh, finally I found my doctor Jason Altman and he is God's gift on this planet and actually this episode it has two parts so this first part I'm going to talk about my experience uh, and then there's going to be a part where I'm interviewing Dr. Altman which is unfortunately not video because I didn't set it up properly <laughs> to be very honest so uh yeah that's that's part two so when it comes to my consultation when I came into his office I just showed him a few photos of what I wanted and I told him like I want them I, I said like I want them very natural and I want like I don't care what size because a lot of people always come to me and like how many cc's you got and how many cc's number of cc's doesn't really matter because everybody starts with something different so like my boobs were one size and if your natural boobs are a little bigger the same amount of cc's is not going to look the same on you and me so when you're just focusing on the cc number that doesn't really make sense and also that when it comes to uh the wide the width of your chest and like there's so many different factors so I literally showed him a photo and I said, I want my boobs to be really natural and that's it. Literally, that's it. And we, you know, he asked me, what did he even ask me? Like, we didn't, like, it was not a long conversation because I knew exactly what I wanted and he kind of just like knew what to do with me depending on my size. But also with the interview with him, we kind of went deeper into... um 
why he chose stuff he chose for me. And also I told him that I want him to be really, really soft. So basically we put in 400 cc's and the brand is called Mentor. Before you get the surgery done, you obviously have to go in and they do your blood work and see if you're, you know, healthy and everything. And the day of the surgery, so you have to have somebody picking you up. And um, my boyfriend was picking me up. So you have to give his name, phone number and, you know, all the contacts. How did it all look the day of? So I actually the first few days before that, you have to go for um, a meeting and then you pick up on medicine because you're going to have to like, you're going to have a schedule of how you're going to take what medicine and um, you can pick it in your local drugstore. Day of the surgery, you come in and they give you like a gown and you change into that gown and then you wait there and literally like, that's it. You come in, you go to sleep and you wake up with boobs. And the first feeling was just like, I was just like, what? Like, it just looks huge when you're looking at for, what for the very first time like this. Like, it looks so swollen and everything. And my feeling was just like, like, um, it was not like pain. Like, it was not, it was not any cramps or any, it just felt swollen and tough. It's a very interesting feeling. It's very hard to describe. I kind of later on as the, you know, your body starts kind of getting adjusted to the implant. I felt I was describing the feeling of uh, feeling the implants at the beginning as, you know, when your leg gets numb and then when it starts getting unnumb, like something like that. That was my feeling, I guess. Uh, but then... Okay, surgery was done. Then you go and uh, surgery was 45 minutes, literally. My boyfriend picked me up and I was pretty much asleep the first, I mean, the whole day and the day after. I basically like the first two days, I was like pretty knocked out because of all the antibiotics. And something that really surprised me <laughs> is that you feel very constipated. Like you can't use the bathroom the first few days and they give you uh, a pill for that as well. Which like, I mean, I don't know if you guys are grossed out talking about poop. I'm not. I love talking about everything. So uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was interesting. Nobody really mentioned that to me. I was out and about four days after surgery. So my surgery was Friday and actually three days after surgery. My surgery was Friday and I had an event Monday and I just wore something a little bit bigger because you have to wear this special bra. Yeah, that's really important. You have you get this uh, compression bra and you have to wear it as much as you can. Like, I mean, you have to wear it all the time. Even some days now, like I still wear that bra sometimes. Um, and I had my surgery. What is what is what month is now? It's June. Is it June? I think it's June. Wow, my brain is fried. Uh, yeah, it's June. I got my surgery done like three months ago. And yeah, I still like I started wearing more bras than I did before. And uh, you go for a checkup day after you still have your stitches. And my yeah, that's some a question I get all the time. Where is my incision? So my incision was under my boob and we went under the muscle. In my interview with Dr. Altman, you're going to see why he prefers to do it that way. So you go for a checkup the day after, and then you go for another checkup in a week. And on that checkup, they explain how you need to massage your boobs because that's really important. It kind of just settles in because they create this pocket 
again, Dr. Almond's going to explain all about that, but like your implant has to sit inside of that pocket. Um, what else do I need to say? I really like, this was such an easy, easy surgery. I, I really, I can't stress enough how easy and simple this was. And I was talking to my doctor, like, why do some people feel so much pain and they just like, they can't move or anything. Obviously everybody's body is different, but also it depends on your surgeon and what technique he's using and how, you know, where's the incision and how your body just naturally reacts. Okay. I think this is all that I wanted to cover. Let me go to your questions. How did I prepare? I didn't really prepare any, like there was not no special preparation. I, I mean, obviously don't drink or like party a few days before surgery, but that's like, you know, kind of common sense. I hope pain after pain, as I mentioned, like it just feels weird. It feels like burning kind of, but then it also feels like hard just it's a very strange feeling but it's not painful it's just uncomfortable how long is the recovery do you have to wear a bra after so yes recovery that you can go to the gym for the first six weeks that's like don't go don't do any like don't don't be active just let your body recover and gives those six weeks to yourself and just like take it easy uh, okay somebody asked me what drove the decision i mean i just wanted to get it done my whole life. And I was also shy before. And like, I would probably not say it out loud a few years ago, if I got it done a few years ago, and I was just worried what other people going to think, which I don't really anymore at all. Do I lose feelings in the nipples? No. So my nipples were actually really, really sensitive. The first few days, uh, I felt like somebody has sandpaper, like rushing. It was really painful. They feel normal now. How do they feel? They feel fine. Like I still feel that they're not like my boobs. It's still like, I'm still getting used to it because it's just three months, obviously. But I love them every day. I look at myself and I'm like, oh my God, this is the best decision. Like this is the best gift. I mean, I don't want to be shallow and super like, but it's just like, I'm so, so happy since I got this. Like I'm, I have to stop saying like, actually, and actually, <laughs> I'm very happy that I got this done because they look amazing. They are just beautiful. I'm really happy and the recovery was so fast. Okay, that was very intense. So thank you for listening. Can you recover by yourself? I could, I honestly, I mean, I was with my boyfriend, obviously we live together, but if he was not around, I could still do it. It was not that difficult for me. I know some people say that they couldn't like lift their arms. I was lifting my arm after the first day, really. Like it was very easy for me in that sense. What did I ask for? So I just showed him a bunch of photos and I said that I, you know, I want them big. Like I don't want them you know, some girls come and like, oh, just give me a little, little something. I'm like, no, I want my boobs to like be nice boobs. <laughs> I don't know why I'm touching my boobs the whole time I'm talking. Um, how do I figure out the shape size? So that's not what you need to like figure out. You need to tell him what you want and then he can suggest. Um, I didn't even ask, like I didn't, you know, some people go in to the doctor's office with too much knowledge and they, you know, then they're trying to tell the doctor what he's supposed to do. But I was just like, you know, I want my boobs to look this way. And I'm sure that you know what you need to do to achieve that. So that's pretty much how the conversation went. We are done with the first part. And now we're going to dive into my conversation with Dr. Jason Altman. Okay, well, 
Dr. Jason Altman. Here. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Love your site. Love your work. And really Thank excited you. to share some information with all your followers. I obviously love your work, too. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell me? I know this is like such a boring question, but why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and like the practice? What do you do? Sure. Great. So my name is Dr. Jason Altman. I'm a board certified plastic surgeon here in Miami, Florida. Um, I've been practicing and board certified for about 12 years now. Um, that's after eight years of surgical training and four years of medical school so, and four years of university. So, so how many years you've been in school now? School takes you, it's about, it's close to, you're about 32 years old when you get out and, and okay. actually get to start working. So okay. it's a long, hard road. And it's one of the main differences between, I believe, plastic surgery training here in the U.S. and many other countries. Um, our training after medical school is six to eight years at a minimum to become a board certified plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, most other countries, it's only about three years. And for those of us that have been through the training here, we can easily remember back in our third year, we really didn't know that much. And, we and went, you always knew you wanted to be in I did. this. My, um, my mother was an artist growing up. My father was a dentist. Um, my next door neighbor was a plastic surgeon. And when I was eight years old, I told my mother that I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Really? Why? Uh, I never Why? deviated from that. I don't know. I can't. You there there were a few incidents in my childhood. I really looked up to my neighbor, my very good friend's dad, who was a plastic surgeon. I really liked what he was doing. Um, when I was really young, there was a tragic accident where I went to summer camp and my friend's dad did some reconstruction on the face of one of my friends. Um, and I saw the, the power that that had. Uh, to change people's lives. And I have to say, people, when they s talk about plastic surgery, they automatically just think of people who are kind of superficial and they want to change something about themselves. But it's so important that plastic surgery saves people's lives. I mean, if I'm if I have an accident like you just mentioned, and if my face gets scarred, I would definitely want to want some help in that sense. So you've been uh, living in Miami for how long? I moved here to do my fellowship, my last stage of my training at the University of Miami in 2006. Okay. I completed that in 2008. Uh, I then spent a year doing an international craniofacial fellowship where I traveled all over the world doing reconstructive surgery on kids oh, and, wow. in countries where they don't have plastic surgeons. Um, so I traveled all through Asia, South America, and Africa doing that. Uh, and then came back in 2009 and opened my own private office in 2010. I feel that plastic surgery is more common here than any other cities. Why do you think that is? Uh, I've thought about it a lot, and I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. The simplest thing is just to look at what people, how people dress, right? Yeah. You go to New York and everyone's in black and grays. Yeah. <laughs> it's very subtle. It's very sedate. Yeah. It's very trendy, but it's, it's much more sort of closed. Yeah. Here, everyone's in beautiful, bright colors. There's a lot more summer. skin exposed. It's summer <laughs> all year round. So I think one in Miami, we're used to showing our bodies all year round. And so we pay a lot more attention to how good we look yeah. in, in less clothing. I think we're very close to South America and Central America, where plastic surgery has always been much more accepted mm -hmm. and much more common, um, where people talk about it. People get plastic surgery in New York. They just of don't course, tell yeah, anyone. Of course. Yeah. Um, they don't tell The them. joke I used to tell my patients here was... If I operated on one of my patients from New York and 15 years later, someone came up to them and said, did you have plastic surgery? They would come back and be really pissed that ah, I did something wrong no. because they don't want anyone to know. Yeah. In Miami, if I operate on someone and on their way out of the office the same day of their surgery, if someone doesn't stop them and say, who is your plastic surgeon? They'll come back and be upset that we didn't do enough. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I have to say whenever like I got my surgery, it was in March and Every time I see somebody and they compliment my 
boobs. I'm like, brand new, got them done two months ago. Send your Instagram, let them know. Like, it's, I just want to know why is, why do you think is still a taboo to admit you had plastic surgery, especially celebrities? Yeah, I think, I, I think especially celebrities because they're held to such a high standard. And I think, but we can all see, of course, and they they get their makeup done. They get their hair done. They have their trainers, they have their chefs. So they're doing everything else to help them look and feel their best. So I don't see why not. Some people feel like it's cheating or they're just kind of taking an easy way out, but there's certain things that you can't change with exercise or diet or, or other lifestyle changes. And you may want. And some things you can work out as much as you can, but you have stubborn fat that you just can't really sure. do anything about it. So what would you say is the most, when people come to you, what is the most request surgery? Sure. So what I'm known for and what I do the most of is breast surgery, breast enlargement, breast lifts. Um, internationally, both nationally, I'm very well known for lifts with implants, which is one of the more complicated surgical procedures. So lifts with implants. That's okay. something that people travel from all mm-hmm. over the world to have me both do and to fix the work of other surgeons. Okay. Uh, After breast surgery, rhinoplasty or nose jobs would be the second most popular thing that I do. Um, And that comes into play with my ENT background as well as my plastic surgery background, allowing me to to both work on functional and cosmetic aspects of the nose. So boob jobs, nose jobs. And you said you used to do BBLs, but you don't do them anymore. I don't. I stopped um, when the research started showing that uh, the safety of that operation really couldn't be controlled. Even when the doctors were doing everything right, there was a lot of risk out of our control. And for me, that made it an unsafe operation and I made the choice to stop. When it comes to boob jobs, can you walk us through an appointment? So let's say I, I mean, I know what happened because I already saw you, but just walk us through the (laughs) experience. Sure, so most people will come to see me. Um, Sometimes they've seen other surgeons already, so they have a little bit of an expectation. Most of them have seen my work online or been referred from a friend and it's their first time visiting. So obviously we wanna make them comfortable. Um, You'll walk into the room, I'll be with my assistant, Michelle, most commonly. First, we'll have a short conversation about what you want, what your goals are, how big you might wanna be, what type of look or shape you're going for, something natural, something less natural. Um, We'll often take time to then look at pictures, if you've saved pictures, to give me a better idea, because everyone lies to me about what they want. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Everyone who sits in my office tells me they want a very natural-looking, full C-cup-sized breast. And they show a photo. And they all show me totally different pictures. Some are are very natural, some are very fake. But the nice thing about pictures is it lets us both look at the same thing and understand what the patient's thinking. After that, we'll do their exam. I take a very detailed set of measurements of the width of their breast, Mm -hmm. their rib cage, the length and position of their nipples. And then based on what they want and what I've seen in my exam, I'll then make recommendations on size so that we Mm -hmm. know that the implants we're picking are gonna fit with your frame and look appropriate on your body. Uh, And then we have sizing systems. So right now we use the physical sizing system. Coming soon, there will be some virtual reality sizing system available. We'll be the first people in Florida to have it. Okay. Not Um, surprised, I got to (laughs) say. We were chosen to be the first people in Florida to have it. Um, And so once I recommend sizes to you, you'll actually get to see those sizes on your body and know exactly what you're going to get before you make a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we'll go into a discussion of the different types of implants that we use uh, and then the details of the procedure, what to expect the day of the surgery, what to mm-hmm. expect during your recovery, uh, and things like that. Question that I get asked all the time is how many CCs and how did he decide this and that? And I remember when we were talking about CCs, 300, 400 CCs is going to look different on me than on somebody else who has less or more breast issues. So why are people so stuck on this CC count? 
I think it's because the same reason my parents are so stuck on their cholesterol level. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it gives you a number. It's a very yeah. easy thing to understand, uh -huh. right? When when all of a sudden you're talking about a 12.3 centimeter diameter yeah. implant with 4.2 centimeters of projection and mm -hmm. 340 cc's and a moderate to moderate high profile, it's a lot of information that doesn't really make sense to most people because yeah. it's not what they do every day. But they can very easily say, my friend has 300 cc's and I like the mm -hmm. way she looks, so I want that too. Mm -hmm. When we see breast implants, some of them are closer together, some of them are further apart. How, do, how does that happen? Great question. So that, that's, that's one of three issues, right? Uh, the first one is the one we can't control, and that's the patient's natural anatomy. Mm -hmm. Certain patients have muscles that attach to their chest bone closer or further apart, and that's really the limiting factor in how close we can get them. Beyond that, the two things that matter are the implant selection and the surgeon's technique. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why that measurement I take yes. in your chest is so important. I want my implant to be wide enough that it mm -hmm. covers that gap and fills you in. If it's a smaller or more narrow implant, you're going to get more space here. And then the surgeon's skill in creating that pocket and be able to get them as close together without causing problems is something that just comes with experience. And I feel it's something that I'm, I'm very well known for. Tell Thank us you. about pockets, because I've never heard of that term before. I actually went through the whole process. So what so is the pocket? The pocket is the space that the surgeon is creating for the implant to sit in. Mm -hmm. um, there is no actual space in your body yet. We need mm -hmm. to make it. So you create a fake pocket, kind of, and then you put an implant inside of that pocket. Correct. And that space is created by elevating the muscle, by cutting some of those muscle fibers to make space for the implant. And the technique and ability to do that precisely is going to determine how well that implant sits where you want it to sit. Okay. So for me, I showed you a few photos and how did you decide what size or what type are you going to put on somebody like me? Great question. Width to me is more important than anything else. And it's why if you've been to a console with me, you'll hear me joke that you can have any size you want as long mm -hmm. as it's one of the three sizes I choose for you. <laughs> and that's because that I want the width of my implant to be the same width as your chest. Mm -hmm. If it's too narrow, you're going to get a big gap in between. If it's too wide, it's going to sit too far out to the side and it's going to make you look heavy. Yes. So I, I see that a lot a happening. Lot. Yeah. They overcorrect they over yeah. here. And so I picked the width of the implant mm -hmm. and then I let you pick the size of implants that come in that width. And that's yeah. where the sizing systems come. So I'll measure you and I'll say you're 12 and a half centimeters. So you can have a 350 or a 425 or a 475 based on the profile. And mm -hmm. then you'll try those on and see which one you like best on your frame. Okay. And would you say people tend to go bigger or smaller or is there a pattern of... How I think in Miami, a little bigger is a little better. Mm -hmm. People like a little more. I'm um, thinking about the same. Why didn't I go like a little bigger? <laughs> and the problem is I always tell people that no matter what you start with, you're going to love it. And yeah. so your mind is always going to think... Yeah. That more is better. Just like yeah. dessert, right? You yeah. take a bite yeah. of a piece yeah. of cake yeah. and yeah. you're like, you I should have gotten two of these. <laughs> but if you eat both of them, you're not going to feel great. And it's the same thing with this. There is such thing as too much. Yes. So don't listen to your friends. Listen to yourself and listen to your surgeon yeah. and pick what's right for you, not what's right for someone else. And I have to say, I went through, I went to a few doctors before deciding to go with you. I have to compliment and praise your approach to patients. And it was such a comfortable, I saw, I saw a few sleazy ones in Miami beforehand. So thank you for being a very, just kind and comfortable. And that was a big part of my decision process when it comes to like choosing you as my surgeon. Another question that was coming through uh, my 
question box, I guess, is under the muscle, over the muscle. What is the difference? How do you decide? What is the technique nowadays? Great question again. Like many things in plastic surgery, there are trends. There were times where under the muscle was thought to be better. There were times where over the muscle was thought to be better. Um, we're in a stage in plastic surgery now where we use a lot of science and a lot of data that we didn't necessarily use in the past. And so we can now objectively answer questions as to what's better as opposed to just saying, well, I think this might be better. Yeah. Um, and now we have really good data that shows under the muscle is most typically a better place to put your implants. It's Why? going to be a longer lasting result. It's going to provide a little bit more support for the mm -hmm. implant. There's lower risks of complications such as capsular contracture because it's a safer space, a cleaner space. Uh, it's more comfortable and it provides more of the patient's natural body tissue on top of that implant. So it's mm -hmm. going to give a softer feeling and more natural looking result for patients. And would you say the recovery is the same with under? I actually over? find it easier under the muscle because although we did speak about creating that pocket, yeah. there is some natural space behind the muscle. So there's less tissue that needs to be cut or separated in placing the implant behind the muscle as opposed to over it. And when it comes to the incision, mm -hmm. tell me about that. That has 100% to do with science and data. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, it was about a 50-50 split between placing the implants through the nipple and in the crease under the breast, if mm -hmm. you looked nationally. Um, other approaches, such as the belly button and the armpit, are really frowned upon. They're painful, they're dangerous, well, belly and they're button? not accurate. Wait, somebody would... <laughs> it shouldn't even be talked about. Other than to say it should never be done. The nipple was a great approach from Latin America because uh -huh. that population had darker colored nipples. And so with a darker areola and lighter skin, that scar hid really well. Mm -hmm. uh, in fairer skin patients, they don't have that drastic a color change. And so the scar becomes noticeable in the center of the breast and then under the breast becomes better. Mm -hmm. But most importantly for me, all my decisions are based on safety and longevity. And mm -hmm. we know that passing an implant through breast tissue, which is what you do when you go through the nipple, exposes that implant to bacteria that live in the milk ducts of the breast. Mm -hmm. And so increases the risk of infection, capsular contracture, and eventually having to have your implants removed. Placing that incision in the crease avoids contact with the breast tissue completely. And so now we have really good scientific data showing that that's Jesus. a safer, cleaner approach to placing breast implants. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're hoping the ceiling doesn't fall down. I'm telling you, mercury retrograde, I swear. You guys don't know what I've been going through today. It's hitting hard. Uh, a lot of people ask me about scarring and that that is um, a concern of theirs, which for me personally was no concern at all because I have clothes 90% of the time. So why are you guys so worried about it? But when it comes to scarring, I would never want personally a scar around my nipple because I feel like that's more sensitive and like my brother for example has skin that scars really uh, i don't know how to say red this. or thick red, or like very thick, thick yeah mm -hmm. very thick scarring so if i had skin like that i would never want to have it around my nipple so why do some people think that's better or do you give people the chance to choose i tell people my recommendations i i try to guide them into the smarter or safer decision if someone has a strong point of view on placing mm -hmm. it through the nipple i do feel it's safe enough that i will do it I think people just feel that that scar is a little less noticeable yeah. because they haven't seen good work, yeah. right? And everyone's scared of a scar on their breast. That, that makes sense to me. It's a, it's a personal <laughs> area and I wouldn't want scars <laughs> on my breast and I don't show them to anyone. <laughs> but yeah. what people don't realize is that my scars in particular are extremely small. So and we thin. put a lot of care into making them heal that 
all my patients are worried about the scar before the surgery. Almost never do I have a patient come in yeah. after worried about the scar. They don't think about it. So can scarring be uh, minimized somehow later on? Yeah, there, there's three factors to scarring, right? There's the technique that's used, and obviously we're going to do the best. There is how well the patient takes care of it, and that's completely in your hands, although we'll always give you guidance and recommendations. Mm -hmm. And then some of it is biology, different, like you mentioned your brother. Different yeah. people heal differently. Um, yeah, talk, talk, tell us a little bit about that, because... I was under the impression that the surgery is uh, such a painful, excruciating, you know, and three days later I was at an event. So why do people, some people recover faster, some not that fast or the pain levels? Yeah, I think some of that is personal, but I, I, I think recovery is more a function of how delicate the surgeon is during the surgery with handling the tissues. Okay. And I think some surgeons are in a rush or they're just naturally a little rougher with the tissue. They tear things, they cut things harsher. And that causes more pain, more swelling, more inflammation, and a longer recovery. If you take your time and you're delicate with the way you handle the tissue, the patient's going to know that in their recovery. Yeah. And like you said, almost all my patients are able to get back to work in about three days. Yeah. It, I, I was just shocked because I have a... So I have a lot of friends who already had breast implants. And my biggest fear personally was having my boobs looking fake. And that was my biggest like turn off and that's why I was delaying this for so long but then as I learned more about the whole process some people love that fake look yeah they want you know a higher profile or so that's not really you can't judge plastic surgery based on what you see out there because some people are into that look but my friends told me you know I couldn't get out of bed for a week I couldn't one of my friends told me she had to remove her phone case from her phone because it was so heavy and I was like, what did you, what's, how did this happen? What, how, I mean, how did I get lucky like that? Because as I said, I, it was very easy for me. And, and I think your story is typical for my patients. Yeah. I think, look, like you mentioned, especially in Miami, there's a lot of low cost plastic surgery. There's a lot of doctors that are not board certified plastic surgeons that are doing plastic surgery. Yeah. And one of the best ways to offer cheaper plastic surgery is to work fast, is to rush through the cases so you can get more done. Mm -hmm. uh, but I believe that that's not only a disservice to your patients in terms of their healing, it's also a disservice and that tends to result in not as nice or not as long lasting results. So tell us about different types of implants, silicone, saline. Sure. So there are there are two main categories of implants that are FDA approved for use in the United States, and it's based on what they're filled with. Mm -hmm. Saline implants are filled with saline, which is mm -hmm. salt water, and silicone implants are filled with some form of silicone gel of various cohesivity or various firmness. I didn't know that was filled with salt water. Yeah, that's okay. what saline is. It's okay. just water. Um, both implants, saline and silicone, have the exact same outer shell, and a lot okay. of people don't know that. It's made of silicone. Oh. So even with a saline implant... You there still is have silicone, silicone going into the body. Interesting. Silicone has never, ever been shown to be something that causes health problems. Mm -hmm. It's never been shown to be reactive in the body. It's one of the most inert and safest substances we use. Mm -hmm. In terms of the different characteristics, I personally don't use saline implants. I stopped mm -hmm. using them many years ago when we were able to show through very good scientific research that silicone implants were safe. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is that saline is water is very hard. It doesn't seem like it when you drink it or you yeah. stick your finger in it. But if you've ever done a belly flop into a pool oh, yes, I or, or hit water, the surface of water, yeah. it's very hard. If you could measure squeezing water in your hand, you could actually squeeze it less than concrete. It's one of the hardest substances on earth. So saline implants, they feel hard. 
Okay. They don't. Look, Maybe that's what my friends. Yeah, they look. They look fake. When you yeah. touch the breast, you can feel the implant because yeah. they're stiffer. Mm -hmm. They tend because they're hard. Every time your muscle contracts, all that force gets transmitted through the implant to your tissue. So saline implants. Women with saline implants will notice they lie down. And oh, and they're sagging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I see that on the beach. Or they sag. <laughs> Silicone is a softer gel. It feels like body tissue. And mm -hmm. so it's going to be a much more natural looking and feeling implant. It's going to cause a lot less trauma to the tissue inside the body. So less nerve pain, less mm -hmm. stretching and sagging of tissues. And what about the shape? Um, gummy bear, round, or is that the same thing? People also ask me about different yes, shapes. So there's some confusion about gummy bear. Mm -hmm. And so gummy bear is a type of silicone and it refers to the type of the fill that's in the implant. All it is, is a firmer version of silicone. Regular silicone is called cohesive silicone gel. Mm -hmm. Gummy bears are called highly cohesive silicone gel. So they create more upper fullness, but they mm -hmm. also create a slightly firmer and slightly faker look, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of confusion on the Internet because at some point in time, there were what were called shaped or teardrop or anatomic okay. implants. Those implants had a sloped shape and were, were made and thought to be more natural, although they never actually looked more natural. But in order to keep their shape, they had to fill them with that firmer gel. Mm -hmm. So the original gummy bear implants were shaped. And so people have the misconception that they're more natural. The gummy bear implants we use now look exactly like the regular silicone implants. They're smooth, round implants. They're just a little bit firmer. So for me, uh, we did 400 cc's. And what kind of implant did we use? I wish I knew. I think, <laughs> I think it was, I don't even have my little card. It's no, somewhere. Is yeah. it? So the brand will help me. So mentor, mentor. mentor. Okay. Yes. So mentor is the softer gel. Mm -hmm. We probably use their newest implant, which I absolutely love. Yes. It's called a mentor extra. That's what I have. Implant. That's what I Google. And so that <laughs> implant kind of is the best of all worlds. Uh -huh. So it has the soft gel of the traditional silicone memory gel implants. Mm -hmm. They're overfilled. So they give you some of that extra fullness that a gummy bear does but they keep the softness and natural look and feel of traditional silicone. Something that was kind of scary for me at the beginning was the massages, but then you just <laughs> get used to them because I mean, obviously you have a foreign tissue at that point and you were not really sure how your body's going to react. So massages are really important, correct? Correct. Post-surgery. We talked about the pocket, right? Yes. The, from the nipple up to the, your clavicle mm -hmm. is an open space under the muscle. But down is not, yes. and there's not a lot of skin down. Mm -hmm. So everyone, when they get their implants, they naturally sit very high. Yeah. And in order to get them to drop into place, we recommend massaging both to keep the space around the implant soft and to stretch out that lower part of the breast so that the implant can drop into place. And how long should you do that after a surgery? I tell my patients to do it until you look in the mirror and think your breasts look perfect. Mm -hmm. It's typically somewhere between two and three months. And it's uh, a few minutes a day or? My recommendation is two to three times a day the first month, one to two times a day the second month. Each session is about one to two minutes. It's about 10 squeezes of the implant up or down. Okay. Is there any body percentage required for surgery? Is there any? I'm body sorry, percentage. Like a, a BMI. Fat, yes. Yeah. Um, so there's no minimum fat uh, or weight required for surgery. Uh, there is a maximum though. If your mm -hmm. weight is or your BMI is over 35 um, the result of that is a significant increased risk of complications from anesthesia. Oh, okay. And so since we don't make any compromises for safety, mm -hmm. anyone over a limit of 35 is, is required to get below that before we can put them to sleep. What 
are mo- people mostly scared of? The two most common fears I get from mm-hmm. anesthesia are the movie fears. Right? <laughs> either I'm going to wake up in the middle of the surgery yeah. or that I'm not going to wake up at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, and these fears are natural because you're kind of giving control of your yes, life to somebody else. And we don't often do that, right? Yeah. Maybe when we get on a plane or get in an Uber. <laughs> yeah, usually we're, Uber. Not, we're not really relinquishing control of our life to someone, especially when we're unconscious. And yes. so it's naturally very scary. You know, all of my friends told me it's so easy. You're just going to go to sleep and wake up with boobs. And that's literally what happened. And it, it was how long is the surgery usually? In my hands, it's probably about 40 minutes from from the first time I cut to the last stitch I put in. Obviously, there's some kind of risks involved with every surgery. What would you say is something people should know or be aware of before? Great question. So we always talk about the positives, the great stuff. And, yeah. and breast implant surgery is safe. Satisfaction is extremely high. Very but it's high. it's not perfect. <laughs> it's not perfect. The biggest risks are really risks of surgery in general. Right? Yes. And they all run less than 1% or 1 in mm-hmm. 100 patients. And those are things like bleeding and infections. And we take all the precautions we can during surgery to minimize those. Mm-hmm. Um, the rates in my practice are, are below what are published as the national averages. So we do a really good job of controlling those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other risks down the road related to the implants themselves. Right, They're man-made. They can break. Yeah. We don't know of any health risks, even if they break. And believe it or not, they come with lifetime guarantees. Okay. So if your implants break at any point in your life, the company will give you new ones. And if you have to pay the surgery again? Depending on when. If okay. they break between the first 10 and 20 years, mm-hmm. they will pay for the surgery as well. Wow. Um, after that point, then yeah, you would be responsible for the surgery, but they would still give you the implants. What would you say how often people do people have to change their implants? So there's no longer that's something that's persisted since the 70s and 80s when we had first generation implants. Mm-hmm. At 10 years, those implants had a 50-50 chance of being broken. Mm-hmm. We're working with fifth and sixth generation implants now. That number has dropped to about 6% in 10 years. So there are no implants on the market in the U.S. that are recommended to change if there's nothing wrong with them. So I could just live with these for the rest of my life unless I really wanted to do something or something happens. Unless you wanted to change them or something happens. So what we do recommend is that every five years you get an exam to check your implants. That's the current FDA recommendation. If there's nothing wrong, you don't need to do anything. And any future health risks or breastfeeding or pregnancy or if somebody's trying to get pregnant or to tell us a little bit about that. So no breastfeeding risks at all. All my implants are behind the muscle. You literally have implant, muscle, and then your breast tissue. So mm-hmm. complete separation. Women, especially if they haven't had an incision around the nipple, should have absolutely no change in their mm-hmm. ability to breastfeed. Pregnancy is another story. Um, the implants aren't going to change what happens to your breast during pregnancy, but pregnancy is going to yeah. change what happens to your breast. <laughs> Some women will gain 30 pounds with pregnancy. Some women will gain 130 pounds. Yeah. That's going to affect your breast more than the implants. Mm-hmm. Some women don't breastfeed. Some women breastfeed for three years. Those things are going to change. What I tell women is do what you want to in your life, for your family, for your children. Anything that happens to the implants or the breasts during pregnancy or after, we can fix for you if yeah. we need to. If you're trying to get pregnant, it's probably not the best time to have plastic surgery. Yeah. <laughs> probably just wait till you're done. Um, but you don't have to put it off because you think you might be having getting pregnant down the road. Mm-hmm. Would you say you get a lot of mommy makeovers? It's very popular. So yeah. what is what is that? It's a boob job and then a tummy tuck? Yep. So it's some combination of breast and stomach surgery with the goal of sort of repairing the changes of pregnancy. When it comes to lifts, so I don't know much about them. Um, tell us about lifts and who's a candidate or does everybody need to get a lift? So there, there's kind of three categories of patients that I see for breast. There's the ones that obviously don't need a lift. 
There's the ones that obviously do need a lift. Mm -hmm. And then there's some that are in between, right? Who obviously needs a lift. Anyone whose nipples have dropped significantly below where they started. Mm -hmm. Anyone whose nipples are kind of starting to know what kind of shoes they're wearing, sort of <laughs> what their friends are wearing. Um, and anyone who has lost a lot of volume in their breast where there's a lot of empty space. Yeah. What a lift is really doing is raising the nipple and removing excess skin. Mm -hmm. So if you have one of those two problems, you're going to need a lift. Somebody asked me, uh, is it possible to do a lift without that anchor? Not really. Okay. That really is how to do a proper lift. That's the lift that corrects the sagging, reshapes the breast, and most importantly, creates long-term support so it lasts during the future. Mm -hmm. The lifts that kind of don't do those scars don't really do anything to create support and don't reshape the breast well. So you wind up, everyone always asks me about the lift that goes around the nipple. Okay. I My never response that. is always that that's not a lift. What is that? <laughs> it, that's used to resize the areola. It can raise uh, the nipple. Sorry. So where were we? We were talking about the lift. Donut. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lift called a donut or a Benelli or a circumareolar that everyone asks me about. Can I just mm -hmm. get the lift around my nipple? Mm -hmm. And that's... And I always tell people, unfortunately, it's not really a lift. It'll yeah. reduce the size of the areola. It'll raise the nipple about an inch. It will not do anything to raise the breast. It will not create support for the breast. But the biggest misconception and the most important thing about it is... When you're hanging the weight of an entire breast off a single stitch around the nipple, yeah. it's not going to work. So that scar, although in your head you're thinking it's a lot less scarring, is going to stretch and widen and become much more visible than if we combine that scar with the vertical, which now takes all the tension off the scar around the nipple and heals as a much finer, less noticeable line. This was very educational. I didn't know anything about this. When it comes to breast reduction and lifts, mm -hmm. is it possible to do without an implant? And not only is it possible, it's mandatory. Okay. So my, I always hear patients asking for a reduction with an implant. And yes, when you're doing a lift, you are reducing the breast slightly. But if your goal is a smaller breast than what you started with, you cannot use an implant and get a nice result. Mm -hmm. So breast reductions, which include a lift, never use an implant. Okay. Breast lifts, if you're saggy but empty and don't have a lot of volume, mm -hmm. then we will use an implant to give you that fullness at the top. Mm -hmm. I think a big misconception that I want to address is a lot of patients think a lift is addressing the emptiness or loss of volume that women get at the top of their breast. That's not what a lift is for. That's what an implant is for. Okay. A lift is fixing the hanging or sagging part of the breast. So surgeons think of sagging breasts as what happens below the nipple. Mm -hmm. Patients think of sagging as what happens above. Okay. So lifts don't give you fullness. They don't give you cleavage. They just correct literally sagging. Literally lift the skin. and Exactly. And they it literally lift. Yeah. They lift. Uh, a reduction, because there's more volume, can give you some fullness. Mm -hmm. And there is a modification of that surgery that I've worked on that mm -hmm. I call an auto-augmentation, where we use your own tissue as an implant. So we take tissue from the bottom of the breast, move it to the top to create that fullness. And that's a procedure for women that are too large for a breast implant or may mm -hmm. not want an implant, but still want some fullness. I've heard about uh, fat, in, not, not fat. I've heard yeah. about, yeah, tell yeah. us, fat. Fat grafting or fat injections yeah. for the breast. So we transfer fat all over the body, right? Okay. That's what a BBL is. Um, it's been popular for many years before BBLs for facial rejuvenation filling in lines or hollows, building up the cheeks. And it can be used for the breast, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. There are mm -hmm. a lot of limitations. Why would it. somebody choose that over a regular? 
I think um, some people may feel that they're just not comfortable with the idea of an implant in their body, but they want mm -hmm. a little volume. Some people might feel it's a great thing to do with some fat they may not want somewhere mm -hmm. else. Um, but the breast is very different than the butt or the face when it comes to how mm -hmm. fat works there. Um, so fat is nice, but there's a limit, maybe 200 cc's max. And okay. If you know much about implants, 200 cc's isn't doing That's much. That's not much. Yeah. Secondly, it usually takes two or three surgeries to get a nice result. So okay. you're going under the knife two or three times and you're paying two or three times. Oh. <laughs> um, and the reason is not all the fat we put in stays and we yeah. don't know how much of it's going to go away. So if one breast loses 20% and the other breast loses 30, we got to go back in and add a little bit more and layer that fat on until we get nice, smooth It's just results. like a work in progress all the time. All what's, the time. The, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. And where do you get the fat from in that case? Wherever they had Anywhere. It. Yeah, wherever they had. Stomach, thighs. Um, and then the last and most important reason I shy away from fat grafting to the breast is it can down the road cause abnormal mammogram readings, okay. um, which may result in women who get fat grafting having to undergo additional breast biopsies. Obviously, every time you talk about breast implants, people mention breast uh, implant illness. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us something about that? I can't tell you much because we don't, it Would hasn't you, really been yeah. defined, right? So. Breast implant illness is something that came up in the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 2000s, it was proven not to exist through very large scientific studies. Uh, and then it came back into popular culture uh, through social media in the last few years. Um, what it refers to is women with breast implants who have a litany of vague symptoms, anything from feeling tired or weak or pain or mm -hmm. hair loss, um, all kinds of symptoms that they don't know where they're coming from. And I absolutely believe that the symptoms they're feeling are real. What we don't believe is real as a scientific community is that they're being caused by their breast implants. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of research to show that breast implants do not cause these symptoms. The largest safety study mm -hmm. on breast implants ever done followed 40,000 women for 20 years. Uh, and there were women with implants that, that had those symptoms. But luckily, these studies also had 40,000 women without breast implants. Yeah. And those symptoms occurred in the exact same number in those women. So it's easy to blame the implants, but we don't see it. How can necessary. somebody even define that that's the cause of, I mean, so let's say I'm, I'm experiencing all these difficulties and then is there any tests that I can take and see? Unfortunately not. And that, that's what makes this so difficult. Mm -hmm. And there are women who have their implants removed and, and say that they feel better. And yeah. whether that's a true physiological response or a psychological response, I don't know, and I, I never want to take away from a woman who's feeling these things. I believe yeah. them, but I also believe in the science and feel very comfortable telling my patients that their implants are safe. There's a term that somebody asked me that I didn't even know what it is. It's Galaflex. Sure. What is that? So Galaflex is a mesh. Um, other terms that it refers to are internal bras, very commonly used okay. for it. Um, there's Galaflex. There's another product on, coming on the market as well. And these are materials. They're absorbable materials, meaning they're put in the body and over time they dissolve just like the stitches we use. Mm -hmm. And they're used to help support the breast implant. Okay. Um, and everybody, you, you put that in. No, every, most oh. people don't need it. Okay. Um, and most people shouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something they've heard of and they ask about. And it's a great product when it's needed. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest misunderstanding that I've come across with my patients is we're putting it in an internal bra. It's not going to keep your implant any higher than it would be without it. So the result you get when you're using Galaflex shouldn't look any different than a result you get without Galaflex. What's different is how long that result might last. So mm -hmm. if you're someone whose skin is naturally very saggy or stretchy, someone who's lost a lot of weight 
or someone who's had a lift before and stretched back out, that's someone that we're going to put this product in and it's going to help prevent that from happening again. But if you've never had breast surgery, you have good quality skin, you're not using very large implants or you haven't had some bad surgery in the past, then you really don't need that material. Mm-hmm. There was another question about, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, tuberous breast. Mm-hmm. What is that? Tuberous breast. So tuberous breast, in the medical literature, they refer to it as the tuberous breast deformity. I hate to use the word deformity mm-hmm. with my patients. Um, but it's a very specific developmental problem with the breast. When the breasts are growing, the body forms what's called a constriction band, almost scar tissue mm-hmm. on the internal lower part of the breast. And so as that patient develops, their lower breast doesn't expand and okay. their breast tissue spills into their nipple and they, their breast looks like it's pinched at the bottom and almost like it's wearing a ski hat oh, with no. a puffy, puffy nipple. <laughs> wow. It's not a great look. <laughs> not um, a good look. I can't even imagine it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is correctable. Um, yeah. and, and I feel that I do a very good job of correcting that. It's a combination of using implants and correcting the biological issues, including releasing that restrictive tissue so that things can stretch. And that is the one place where I do use that donut or periurethral incision because their nipple has been overly stretched and Mm -hmm. we need to shrink it down. Uh, You just mentioned correction. Uh, What would you say usually people come to you? I mean, when they need a correction, what is usually the issue they come with? I see it all, right? I sort of, at this point, have a reputation. What is the craziest thing you've seen? (laughs) The the craziest things I always see are when patients have had a problem. Uh They've tried to have it fixed by using the same method over and over. And the same surgeon, And probably. they want me to come back and do the same thing okay. that's happened before, thinking that somehow they're going to get a different result. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen it all. I've seen two different brands of implants in women. I've seen oh my goodness. upside down implants. I've seen, you know, lifts done with techniques that I can't understand what's been done. Remember, people come to me having surgery from other countries, from yeah. un- unlicensed surgeons. So I have literally seen it all. Yeah. And what would you say is the most complex uh, surgery when it comes to breasts? When it comes to primary breast surgery, meaning the first time you're having surgery, a lift with implants Mm -hmm. is the most complex. And that's why you'll see there's a thousand doctors out there that can do a nice breast augmentation. There's only about five or 10 in the whole country that I've seen that can do a really nice lift with implants. And lift is, uh, how how, how long would that surgery be? That's That's about two to three hours. Yeah. So a little like... People always ask me, why does a lift cost so much more than a breast augmentation? And I explain you're comparing a two to three hour surgery that requires an incredible amount of skill to a 45 minute procedure that that is much quicker and easier to do. Yeah. And would you say the pricing changed dramatically in the past few years with your social media glorifying? (laughs) My prices have gone up, but not I feel like not as much as everyone else. I still feel uh, like I am a bargain. When it comes out there, if I was to move my practice to New York City and do the work that I do here in New York, I could probably charge two to three times what I charge. I would have no trouble getting twenty five to thirty thousand dollars for a breast lift with implants. Yes. Over the last couple of years, they've risen with inflation, but I'm charging now maybe 10 to 20 percent more than I was three to five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I've kept them very fair. I love operating. Yeah. Uh, How many surgeries a day would you do? So it's probably the most popular question I get. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know why. I do anywhere between two and six, Uh depending on how long they are. Yeah. So what I do is I do about eight to 10 hours of surgery a day. I work from seven in the morning till about four or five in the evening. So maybe I'm doing two very big mommy makeovers, Mm -hmm. or maybe I'm doing five or six breast augmentations. 
would you say for women who want to do a mommy makeover, do it at the same time? So you would uh, do a breast lift or whatever, like everything at the same time, or you do it separately? I, I think it's much more convenient for the uh -huh. patient more than anything else. Yeah. Remember, these are mommies, right? Yeah. They have kids, they have kids. So <laughs> to undergo surgery twice and yeah. undergo recovery and twice and not be able to do certain things twice. It's often just not possible for yeah. someone with young children. So to be able to get everything done in one recovery and in a week or two, be back to being mommy, mm -hmm. uh, only looking much better and feeling great. It's a great advantage to be able to do them at the same time. What is something you would wish people know before coming into a consultation or something you would just like to share with us? Like yeah. misconceptions. I, so I, I think a couple of things, you know, I think a big one is just because something works for your friend doesn't mean it's yeah. going to work for you. We're um, all different, obviously. Beware of what you see on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's edited photos, there's trick photography, there's not everyone posting great photos as a great surgeon. Mm -hmm. Do your research. Make sure they're board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, not cosmetic surgery. Make sure they've been out there and working for five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, look at their reviews, look at their results, make sure they're consistent. Um, and then believe that we're always trying to help you. I'm never telling a patient no because I don't like them or because yeah. I don't want to do something for them. If I'm advising a patient not to do something, it's because I truly believe for it's a in their best interest. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I get, I get fight, you know, people fight me on that all the time. Yeah. But you're Dr. Altman, you can do it. Yeah. And I'm like, I promise you, you didn't pay for the consultation, yeah. right? Everything we're doing here is free. I only yeah. get paid if I operate on you. Mm -hmm. And if I'm telling you not to do that surgery, it's not for me. Yeah. It's because I really believe it's what's best for what's you. It, tell us a situation that you remember that somebody asked for something completely not appropriate for them or something you have to really turn down. I think the biggest, you know, the, the two things are when their expectations are not in line with what's possible, uh -huh. right? Someone who may be a very different body shape or weight than another patient will bring me in a picture of a, a beautiful, mm -hmm. perfect Instagram model yeah. and wonder why I can't get them to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I always remind them that that person they're looking at didn't just have plastic surgery, right? They also spent the last 10 years working out two hours yes. a day, <laughs> eating right, working with a trainer, yeah. sacrificing. So and photoshopping the photo. <laughs> Maybe photoshopping, but I can help you get to your goals. But it's it's a group effort, right? It takes yeah. work from both the patient and the surgeon to achieve that body of your dreams. You know, you asked me sort of what the difference is in our results and what for people to be aware of. Um, I do often get responses from patients after they've seen me that another place will do it cheaper or mm -hmm. is not waiting. They don't have to wait as long. And plastic surgery... It's What's not your a place to look for bargains. Oh, yes, <laughs> you know, definitely. My mother growing up always said, parachutes and plastic surgery, you never look for a sale. <laughs> you get what you pay for. If a place yeah. is really cheap, it's because they're cutting corners. And those corners usually will impact your safety or your results. A lot of people told me, why don't you just fly to Colombia, Mexico? It's right there and you're going to get it done. And I'm like, I'm, I don't want to play with my health and my body like that. I agree. And there, there are great surgeons in all those countries, yeah. but they don't necessarily have access to all the same equipment, materials, yeah. healthcare, hospitals, support that we have here, nor do they have the same regulations mandating that their operating rooms are as sterile or mm -hmm. their techniques are, are the same. So it, I'm never knocking those surgeons. They all work very hard. They're mm -hmm. all just as intelligent as surgeons here, but you want to be in your own country where you know the healthcare system and, and mm -hmm. are assured that their regulations are in place. There's one more question that I forgot to ask before when it comes to recovery uh, for somebody who is a dancer or a swimmer or somebody who has a really active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. How long would you say 
because like my surgery was two and a half months ago almost and sometimes whatever way sometimes i still, still feel, feel it, obviously yeah. yeah and so the hardest part for a lot of my patients is that that six weeks and i, and yeah. I don't budge on that six weeks any surgery other than just liposuction mm -hmm. it's going to be a true six weeks before you can get to the gym and it's not magic we know that it takes six weeks for your tissue to get back to about 80 percent of the strength it had before your surgery. And so any strain you put on it before that can tear things, can disrupt the healing process. Um, mm -hmm. You've invested time and money and energy into your surgery. Take those extra six weeks to recover and make sure that you heal. Properly. Yeah, I don't understand when I see people like, oh, I'll go to the gym just after three weeks just to see how I feel like. Just stay home and just <laughs> lay down, <laughs> relax. I, I promise you everything I tell you is for you. Yeah, Keeping it's you for out of the a reason. Gym doesn't benefit me in any yeah. way, shape or form. I'm not trying to get you to get fat and come back yeah. for liposuction. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to love the results you have for the rest of your life. I think we covered most questions people usually ask. Is there anything else you kind of would like to clarify or mention to our listeners when it comes to surgery, something they should know before coming in. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to educate my patients and I love having these conversations. Do your diligence, do your research. Remember that Google is not a doctor, exactly. right? Your friend who had plastic surgery is not a doctor. They all have good advice. But at the end of the day, if you choose me or you choose someone else, you chose them because you trust them. Yes. So trust them. Listen yeah. to the advice they give you and obviously do your research. I make myself extremely available to my patients. I love to answer their questions. The more you know going into the surgery, the better the process is going to be. When you contact me on Instagram, that's me answering. Your oh, that's you answering every time. So it may take a day or two or even three, <laughs> but you're getting an answer from me every single time. No one else is reading those messages. You can ask me anything you want and I will always give you my best medical advice there. Well, thank you, Dr. Jason Altman. Please tell everybody where they can follow you, your Instagram, any other platforms you're using currently. Um, so right now, the best place to find us is at dr.altman, A-L-T-M-A-N on Instagram. Uh, stay tuned for our new TikTok page should be coming soon. Okay. Uh, and I just want to thank you for I think your page is incredible. Thank I love you. that you're sort of a strong, independent woman giving advice. Um, to people. I love watching you and, and I really appreciate the time you took to, to put us on with you. Of course. No, this was so much fun and this has been uh, on my to-do list for a very long time. Once again, I'm very grateful that you helped me uh, do what I wanted to do for 30 years. Yeah. Thank you everybody for listening and tune in with the next episode. The most common comment I get after <laughs> surgery is if I knew I could look this good and recover so quickly and look natural, I would have done this 20 years ago. I would definitely do it. Let's yes. make this a regular show. I would love that. I would love that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you.